In this episode, I'm going to share what I believe to be the biggest baby-led weaning myth that could potentially harm your child's health. This myth is actually what sparked my inspiration for this podcast because it's arguably the most common piece of advice in the baby-led weaning world. So if you want to help your little one grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self, then you're going to want to listen to this episode to find out why this advice might actually be harmful. Hello and welcome to Thriving Foundations Podcast, where we talk all about nourishing your little one from their very first bite and beyond. If you're a holistic, crunchy, or health-conscious mama, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Alyssa, and like you, I'm blessed to be a mother, but I also happen to be a licensed pharmacist who's obsessed with all things natural and holistic. That's right. I'm a crunchy pharmacist, and I've made it my mission to help you optimize the health and development of your little one through protective nourishment so they can grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self. So if you're hungry for more, let's dive in. Okay, so I know this episode is a little behind schedule and being released. I was hoping to have released it two weeks ago, but you guys, life is so crazy right now. Okay, so aside from the current pandemic, which if you are listening to this in the future, I'm recording it during the coronavirus pandemic, so we are literally living through a movie right now, and it's just wild. But aside from that, I'm working outside the home, and I have a one-year-old, and if you have a one-year-old, I think you will understand the craziness in my life right now and give me a little grace because when you have a one-year-old, usually your days are kind of dependent on your little tornado. So that's what I'm living with right now. And I love every moment of the chaos. And if that's not enough, on top of all of that, every moment of free time that I get, I have been working so hard on an online program that has literally been like a six-month project for me, but I am so incredibly close being done with it. And it's just like lighting a fire inside of me to just work every spare moment that I have on completing it. And you guys, it's turned into like a healthy obsession. Like I don't want to work out. I don't want to clean. I don't want to do anything around the house. All I want to do is work on this. And it's okay. I I think my husband would agree that Um, he's just as excited for me to be done with it because he's really been picking up the slack, but I'm so, so excited to finish it up so I can share with the world so I can share it with you. And I, in the kind of meantime, I put together a little free guide that gives a little taste of what it's all about. So imagine if baby led weaning and infant nutrition had a holistic baby, that's what I'm creating. And I'm so excited because I think there's a lot of baby-led weaning resources out there and not as many specific to infants kind of nutrition resources, but especially ones that kind of merge the two and have a more holistic focus or holistic perspective. So I'm so, so excited to almost be done with that. (sighs) So in the meantime, I will just be ferociously working on that and trying to sleep and shower and eat. All right. So the reason that you are here, 
Let's talk about the number one baby-led weaning myth. So when I started to prepare for the exciting journey of transitioning my son to solid foods, I did what most moms do in 2020 and likely what you've done. I joined all the Facebook groups, followed all the baby-led weaning experts on Instagram, and read as much as I could online, not to mention saved probably 777 recipes on Pinterest, most of which I don't think I've revisited once. And if you've done any of this, you will likely understand what I mean when I say that baby-led weaning in itself is like a culture and there's so many rules. And if you're in any of the baby-led weaning groups, you've likely seen the advice to just feed your baby what you eat. I know this is a very strongly held belief in the baby-led weaning world, and I I like to say it's like the baby-led weaning mantra. But I'm here to say that I believe this is a myth. And that this advice might actually be harmful. All right, now before you roll your eyes, just hear me out. Before we take this advice, I think we need to consider four things. I'll outline the four and then I'll kind of talk about each one of them a little bit more in detail. So the first one is your baby's digestive system is still maturing. The second thing to consider is your baby has very specific nutrient needs. The third is our little ones are more susceptible to the toxic burden placed on them. And the last reason I think goes without saying, our diet isn't always optimal. All right, so let's dive into each one. So what do I mean when I say your baby's digestive system is still maturing? Well, I think that that's obvious. Our babies are still growing and developing and their body is still maturing, of course. But when we're talking about the digestive system specifically, there's two main, actually three main things that I like to think about. So the first is that their microbiome is still developing. And what do I mean by this? Think about the microbiome kind of consisting of all of the good bugs or all of the good bacteria and microbes that kind of populate the gut. And they have an extremely important role from helping to fight off bad pathogens and bad bacteria and viruses to actually synthesizing certain nutrients. And so there's many different things that affect the microbiome and the development of it. Um, A few things that are kind of specific to our babies are how they were birthed. So whether they were born via vaginal birth or via C-section, whether they are breastfeeding or being fed via formula. And then the one that we are going to focus on is the foods that they are being fed. So of course, all of those will kind of have their own effect but specifically the when we're starting to introduce first foods those are going to have a particularly important effect because this is a critical time for supporting the gut health and and helping to truly kind of support and build up that microbiome and i i would argue that gut health is probably one of the most overlooked factors that truly affects our health in significant ways Uh, The research is emerging, but unfortunately, it's not well understood by many providers, especially kind of in the more mainstream uh, Western medical system. 
And I would argue that some even dismiss the importance of it, but we truly have research that shows the role gut health plays in the development of things like allergies, eczema, digestive issues, even being associated with mood uh, disorders and behavioral issues and emotional and other mental health issues, as well as the development of acute and chronic condition and kind of our, our risk for developing certain ailments. And so gut health is extremely important and the microbiome is going to be a big factor that affects our gut health. And when I talk about the introduction of first foods being a critical time for supporting this, there's foods that help kind of support it and build it up, things like probiotics. Um, but then there's also things that can directly harm this. So ultimately, when we're thinking about the microbiome of their digestive system, we can think about it like an army of all the microbes and the good bacteria that, that truly support our body and not only fighting off those pathogenic uh, microbes from, from the outside world, but also supporting our, our immune system and helping synthesize certain nutrients. And I'm not sure if you've heard, but the gut is often considered the second brain. The, the Our baby's gut health is going to have a significant impact on our baby's brain and mental and cognitive and emotional status and behavioral status. And I think that this is something that is overlooked so often. And I, I truly think it's unfortunate because I think that in many cases, you know, before uh, jumping to pharmaceuticals, if we make simple changes in a child's diet to improve the gut health or heal the gut, we can see big changes. And so the microbiome is extremely important to consider and the foods that we are feeding help to either build it up or they can kind of damage it or knock it down, if you will. So, all right, shifting to the second factor to consider when looking at um, our baby's digestive system is the integrity of the intestinal wall. So one thing that is debated is this idea that babies have leaky gut. So some experts will say that babies, when they are really, really little, they have a permeable gut that allows certain nutrients and immune factors to be uh, easily absorbed from breast milk through baby's intestinal wall into the, the bloodstream. And that's pretty well supported. I think most people agree that that is the case when babies are little, their guts are more permeable. However, when the gut is no longer permeable, that is what is debated. Some say that it seals just a few months after birth, and some say that it doesn't seal until kind of six to 12 months. So I think it's wise to be proactive and protect that. So there are certain foods that are going to help to kind of support the integrity of the intestinal wall and support the tissue. And then there are foods that are not and there are foods that can actually harm that. And so one example I just like to talk about because it is everywhere and I, I think that it's just not something that's talked about very much um, because it's not well known. But so glyphosate is the most common herbicide that is used, but it also is used as a desiccant. So as an herbicide, it's sprayed on crops like corn and soybeans and wheat 
to uh, act as a weed killer um, to kind of to keep the crops from being killed by weeds. But then it is also used as a desiccant. And what this means is glyphosate is actually sprayed on certain crops. Oats are one of them. And I like to talk about oats because I think oats are common food fed to babies. Um, And so this glyphosate chemical is sprayed on the oats to um, act as a desiccant to basically uh, speed up the drying process before harvest. So why is this bad? Should we care? Does it really matter? Well, research reveals that glyphosate damages the epithelial tight junction tissue, thus weakening the barrier of the intestinal wall. So in other words, it damages the integrity of the gut wall. So if you imagine um, you have your intestinal tract and then you have literally one cell thick of cells all connected together by certain proteins. And so this glyphosate chemical actually damages those tight junctions that hold those cells together tightly. And that's bad because we don't want spaces in those cells. That's where we get the term leaky gut when there's kind of spaces between those cells. And then we can have things from the outside world kind of leak past the gut wall or the gut barrier. And there's another study that was done in fish that revealed glyphosate actually decreased the activity of multiple digestive enzymes. So lipase, protease, and amylase, the enzymes that break down fats, carbs, and proteins, which ultimately then is going to impair digestion. So I think this is important for us to be mindful of. Um, Unfortunately, this herbicide is also known to be a carcinogen, but unfortunately it is still still used today. Um, And this is why I'm here. Unfortunately, um, there are some companies in the food industry that prioritize profit over our health and our children's health. And so we have to be our own advocates and understand what is in our food and where it's coming from. Because Truly, there are things that can be harmful to our health, and this is a perfect example of that. And so, unfortunately, it is sprayed on oats, and so we have to be aware of that because if we want to, our little babies and their perfect little bodies and their, you know, their intestinal wall is is growing and developing, and we don't want to be putting something in their body that is harming that from the get go. Um, that's just setting our little one up for health issues from the start. And then lastly, there are certain enzymes that are still being produced. So this is also another kind of debated topic because some say, no, babies produce all the enzymes from the start. And some say, no, it takes time. But a perfect example that I like to kind of give is if you feed your little one raw blueberries, you're likely going to see them come out in the diaper hole. (laughs) It's kind of terrifying at first. Um, Versus if you cook the blueberries, say in some coconut oil, um, and that kind of breaks them down a little bit, then if you feed them, um, that helps to kind of break it down, break down the food a little bit and helps assist with digestion. So, and that's just kind of helping to put kind of less burden on baby's digestive system um, as it's just first starting to um, break down and digest solid foods. All right. So that covers what to consider in terms of our baby's digestive system still maturing.
All right, so the second reason that we should not just feed our little one what we eat is they have very specific nutrient needs. So I'm going to give an example. Between the ages of 7 and 12 months, our little ones actually require more iron than an adult male. And there is research that shows that if an infant is deficient in iron within the first two years of their life, that can have lasting impacts on brain development. And even if iron becomes sufficient, say at age three or four, the the effect on brain development is not reversible. So this is truly our window of opportunity to make sure that they are getting enough nutrients um, through the food that they're eating. And chances are, if we are just feeding them what we eat, we're likely not going to be providing sufficient amounts or the right balance of nutrients that our little one needs. And another example is zinc. There are studies that have shown that if a child is sufficient in zinc during the first five years of their life, so if they have enough zinc, that actually programs their height in life. So the takeaway from this is I was deficient in zinc (laughs) because I'm five foot one. No, I'm just kidding. But maybe, I don't know, actually, maybe I was deficient, (laughs) but Jokes aside, this is just another example of how we have a window of opportunity. And I believe if we want to optimize our child's health and help them to become their happiest, healthiest, smartest, and strongest, having the strongest bodies and brains, we have to be mindful of the nutrients that their body requires um, and be intentional about providing foods that, that meet those nutrient requirements. All right, so the third reason to not just feed our little one what we eat is our little ones are more susceptible to the toxic burden placed on them. So what do I mean by this? Well, today more than ever, we are absolutely bombarded by toxins. They are in everything from our the food that we eat to the water that we drink to the lotions, the body washes, the deodorants, the toothpaste everything. And I know it can be overwhelming once when you're starting to kind of venture into the the low tox or the non-tox lifestyle, it can be overwhelming when you realize how many toxins there are out there. And what is a toxin? So for those who m- maybe don't know what I am referring to, glyphosate that I talked about is a perfect example of a toxin, something that is um, that when we take it in, it is either damaging to our body or it affects our body's natural physiological processes or potentially um, promotes cancer or disrupts our endocrine system. Um I could go on and on and on. And there is, I believe it's like 3000 additives in food that have never been studied or have been studied very little, um, which is absolutely crazy. So I, there, I mean, there are all these chemicals more or less in our, um, personal care products or in our food that we really don't know how they affect us. And why is, why do we care about that when we're feeding our little ones, aside from the fact that some of them are really bad for us? Well, toxins rob the body of precious nutrients. So our bodies are beautifully designed to get rid of these toxins or at least attempt to get rid of them. And 
but that those processes require nutrients. And so if our little one is, even if they're taking in all these, all these wonderfully nutrient dense foods, if they're being exposed to toxins, those nutrients are going to um, work to detox rather than growing and developing. And so we want to make sure that we are placing the smallest toxic burden on our babies and our children as possible so that we can be using those nutrients for growing and developing. And aside from that, we know that they can wreak havoc on their growing bodies and compromise their health, which unfortunately then can lead to many lifelong issues. So think about, I talked about glyphosate. If our little one is maybe being exposed to glyphosate on um, a regular basis and it's damaging their gut um, and their digestive enzymes or inhibiting those and baby now is has a more permeable gut and then they might start to um, have issues with eczema or um, even behavioral issues or everything that can come from having compromised gut health. And if that's starting from a really young age, that can just kind of be a snowball effect and lead to many issues down the line. So toxins are bad. We want to minimize the toxic burden that we place on our little ones and the introduction of first foods is kind of the first time that we are consistently putting something in their body consistently. And so being aware of what is in our food, I think, can go a long way in making sure that we are setting our little ones up for a life of thriving health. All right. And the fourth and final reason, I think it goes without saying, our diet is not always optimal. Now, maybe yours is, but mine is not, and I have no shame in that. Two weeks ago, my husband and I got Buffalo Wild Wings, after which we both felt like poo, and we were like, we're not going to get this anymore. And then what did we do the following weekend? We got Buffalo Wild Wings. (laughs) And that's okay. You know, balance is good, and sometimes we eat what our brain wants and not necessarily our body, and that's fine, but... If we want to optimize our child's health, um, just understanding which foods support that. And and I think one thing that is important to understand is that what we feed our little one in the first few years of life actually influences their risk for certain diseases and even cancers lifelong. So there's this concept of nutritional programming. So what that means is our our babies, our child's kind of nutritional status and then the foods that they are being fed um, during the first few years of their life is actually kind of determining their health lifelong um, to some degree. And so just knowing that and understanding the importance of making sure that we are feeding them healthy, nutritious foods is important to consider when we think about our own diet and if our own diet is truly healthy. All right. So those are the four reasons to recap. The reason that we do not want to just feed our little one what we eat is our baby's digestive system is still maturing. They have very specific nutrient needs. They're much more susceptible to the toxic burden placed on them. And lastly, our diet isn't always optimal. So where does that leave us then? What should we feed? Well, you'll have to tune into the next episode to find out. But in a nutshell, 
foods that are protectively nourishing. And what what does this mean? What do I mean when I say protective nourishment? Well, foods that help protect and defend your child's health while also providing them with optimal nutrients that they need to grow strong and healthy bodies and brains so that they can grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self. And the program that I'm creating will literally teach you exactly how to do this. So if you want a taste of this, then don't miss out on your chance to download your free protective nourishment guide linked in the show notes below. All right. So this wraps up this week's episode. I hope this was helpful. If it was, connect with me on Instagram. I love to know what you loved about this podcast episode and what topics you want me to cover in future episodes. And I hope this information inspired you and did not overwhelm you or stress you out. I think when we take in all of this information, we can kind of get analysis paralysis and feel overwhelmed by the amount of information, but just take baby steps, um, focus on maybe changing one thing and you will be amazed at how far you can go in terms of improving not just your health, but uh, helping your little one as well. So, and remember your child is like a blank canvas and you have the power you do and the duty, it's your duty to create a beautiful work of art to help them grow into their happiest, healthiest, strongest, and smartest self. For legal purposes, because I know some of you might be getting a little feisty when you listen to certain things I share, the information presented in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not meant to be used to diagnose or treat any medical condition or to replace the advice of a physician or medical practitioner. Please see your trusted healthcare provider before starting any new protocol or implementing any of the advice shared in this podcast. Some of the views and information shared here are not widely accepted by the medical community and may be considered complementary, functional, alternative, holistic, or integrative medicine and may not be endorsed by governmental institutions or aligned with governmental guidelines. You are encouraged to consult other sources and make independent judgments to determine what is best for your child.